Lord, we thank you for this wonderful day where we have multiple celebrations and we come to you as your people, asking you to fill us with your spirit, that you would think our thoughts, that my words be yours. And Lord, we be a church that looks to one another as all created in your image. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I bring you greetings from the Great Lakes Diocese, where yours truly, Cody Scott Gorbald, Bob Drusendahl was our delegate, and Sybil was our alternate, where we represented Christchurch to the diocese. It was a wonderful weekend or week away, where I'm now the old guy. <laughs> Most clergy are 40 and under. Praise God! Right? I mean, the, the Anglican Church in North America is one of the few churches which is actually growing. And we have a lot to praise God for in that. We heard stories of faithful endurance and perseverance in our diocese. We learned how we might better and more effectively minister in this culture across the generations. And we also discerned the will of God that Alan Canapel will be our next suffragan bishop. We need a suffragan bishop. It's important that we have one. We're geographically spread out, and there's much work for our bishop to do. And so we're glad that uh, Alan, and we so please be lifting him up, and his wife Lisa, as they will be ministering among us. And being Reformation Day, remembering that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, that we are a church which stands for the marginalized. We stand, and it's, it's in our heritage, to stand for the hurting, to stand for the unseen in our culture. All Saints Holland has homes around the church, which the church has purchased, where they're housing Afghan refugees, meeting practical needs to our culture, doing good work there in Holland, where if you're not Dutch, you're not much. Um, the fastest growing church in Holland, Michigan is All Saints because they're reaching out with practical ways to their community as we're trying to do as well here at Christ Church. But like I said, it's, it's in our heritage to do such work like that. In England, as the Reformation uh, came into being, John Wesley stood on the docks of Bristol, England, which was the most prolific slave city in England. And he preached the gospel and the evils of the slave trade in a culture where it was not popular because many businesses depended upon the slave trade. That's like going into Wall Street and preaching against the evils that, that might be going on there. He wasn't a popular figure in that day, but it could not stand. And it caught the ears eventually of one William Wilberforce who, as a parliamentarian and a Christian and an Anglican Christian, stood for 30 years, and they eventually did abolish the slave trade. And then on the day that William Wilberforce died, he heard the bells of Westminster Abbey chime as the institution of slavery was abolished. But in the early days, it was not popular opinion. So how do you make a decision as a Christian about right and wrong? Is it popular opinion? 
Well, it was popular opinion in the 1930s to put Jews away in the final solution. No, we form our opinions based on God's word and what the word of God has to say. And our bishop has asked me and our clergy to speak to the sanctity of human life for all of life. Preborn, teenagers, <laughs> single moms, meeting any needs that we can possibly meet to be light to the world as, Jer as Isaiah was called to. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles or in your bulletins to Luke chapter 1. To speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, in other words. We live in a culture that is steeped in relativism and individualism. For many, perhaps the vast majority of people, the highest moral good is individual autonomy. But as Christ followers, it truly is my life for yours. So today, we're going to see in this text, first point, the personhood of the preborn. And secondly, the importance of being part of a Christ-following community. So first of all, setting the scene, Mary is pregnant and she goes to her cousin Elizabeth, who's 15 to 20 years her senior. This is both first-time pregnancies. And so as Mary arrives, it is appropriately dramatic. Verse 40 and 41 says, Mary entered the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth, greet Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth explained what happened in her response in verse 44, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. The sense here is that Elizabeth herself could return the greeting, but her child beat her to the punch. John, who we know as John the Baptizer, literally leaped in the womb. Only a mother can relate to the sensation that's described here because more than a, but this is more than some prenatal kick. It was a leap or an upward vault. The word leaped here is usually to describe the way a sheep leaps. I mean, this is a high hurdle going on in Elizabeth's womb. So why did Elizabeth's baby react this way? First, there's a prophet in her womb. The forerunner, John the Baptist ministry, began three months before he was born. She's six months pregnant at this time. And the Holy Spirit, whom he was filled with before her birth, prompted this leap. John's joyous leap was lived out as some 30 years later when he saw Jesus. And he described announcing Jesus kind of like the way a friend announces a bridegroom, if you're the best man at the wedding. John said in chapter 3, verse 29, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Secondly, John leaped because he was overcome with an emotion of joy. The more exact sense is that he leaped with delight. Do not miss the point that Luke's trying to bring here. 
This baby, yet to see the light of the world, experienced an emotion of joyous delight. This is incontrovertible testimony to the pre-birth personhood of John the Baptist. John at this time is about nine inches long, weighs about a pound and a half. His skin is translucent. He had fingerprints, toe prints. Sometimes he opened his eyes for brief periods of time to, into the liquid of his mother's womb. If John could have spoken, he might have quoted Job when he, Job said, do you not pour, out, pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? You clothed me with skin and flesh. You knit me together with bones and sinews. As a, as a baby of six months in the womb, Job, John, excuse me, is an emotional being. He has the capacity to feel with the Holy Spirit, and he was overcome with joy at the coming of his Lord. And there's more. Mary, four or five days pregnant. Jesus is biologically termed a zygote. And when Jesus approaches John the Baptist, a six-month-old baby, leaps in his mother's womb with joy. And Elizabeth addresses Mary, notice, in the present tense, when he says, the when she says, the mother of my Lord. In view of all this, for the Christ follower, I don't use the word Christian anymore because a lot of people call themselves Christians. Jesus doesn't call us to be a Christian. He calls us to be a Christ follower. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Therefore, for the Christ follower, this settles once and for all whether or not this is a human life and is it worthy of our protection. We heard Isaiah say in that wonderful chapter that from the womb God was calling him. And it was too small a task just to be a call for little Israel. It was eventually be a message that would go to the whole world. In the womb, this calling was placed upon Isaiah. And we heard the psalmist proclaim that my bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret and fashioned. That is God who fashions us. My friends, this is a baby. And I just pose this question, when is it acceptable to end an innocent life? Never. And I say these words with compassion, for I know, I know, realizing that some, no doubt, have taken part in terminating a pregnancy, either by paying for it or being a participant in it. Perhaps it was before knowing Jesus Christ. Perhaps, you know, it was done in ignorance and you didn't know what the scripture said. Or perhaps it was out of fear or economic stress or the pressures of a boyfriend or a family. According to the Logier Institute, 7 out of 10 pregnancy terminations are due to outside pressures. Did you know that? Didn't see a way out. Whatever the reason, when you turn to Jesus Christ, God's grace is always there for you. Always overflowing in abundant grace for each and every one of us. Perhaps others 
We're believers, and because they did not sin in ignorance, the sin is even more grievous. But nevertheless, God's grace is sufficient for each and every one of us. And here on Reformation Sunday, where we remember and proclaim that our salvation today, all the way into eternity, is a gift by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And because of that, whatever our past, we are now under the light of God's word and our responsibility is to receive that love as a gift and to protect everybody who's made in the, in the image of God, whether that person is preborn or a baby or a child or a teenager or a young adult or a middle-aged adult or an older friend who's walking with a walker. We love and we care for all in the kingdom of God. Poet Lucy Shaw writes, Framed in light, Mary sings through the doorway. Elizabeth's six months joy jumps a palpable greeting. A hidden first encounter between son and son, capital S. And when my heart turns over, when I see Jesus in you. See, joy is expressed by John at God's saving work, showing that Jesus is fulfilling his covenant promises. And the notion of fulfillment continues to verse 45 as Elizabeth pronounces a blessing on the one who believes in the Lord will be fulfilled in what he's promised. The word blessed, makaria, is different than in verse 42. Verse 42 emphasizes the blessing bestowed by God on the follower signifying his gracious work. But the word for blessing in 45, it's difficult to capture well in English. It signifies happiness and joy and well-being. Here, Mary's happiness and well-being and flourishing is tied to the object of her faith. She's put her trust in God's word and the promises that God gave to her through the angel Gabriel. And Mary is called upon to believe that the Lord will bring about through her the Messiah, the good, the bearer of good news. And so this visitation, brothers and sisters, is flesh and blood history about God's care for Mary. It's about how God directed her, secondly, to a community of faith in the humble home of Zechariah and Elizabeth where Mary would be linked with people of mutual belief, mutual experiences, and mutual hope. And the visitation records how Mary's life was affirmed and how her faith was strengthened, celebrated, and, co and confirmed. And at, it is at this level of history that the must be first appreciated that God took care of Mary, despite the shame of the community. She was delighted in by this couple. Well, there's some practical insights that we can gather here for all who would know the birth of Christ in their lives, all who would claim to be born again. There's wisdom about real faith that is belief, trust in the disciples' life that propels us to action. We can't just sit on the sidelines. We don't just protect the unborn, we protect and care for everybody who's created in the image of God.
We look after Afghan refugees. We don't have to go to the world anymore, folks. The world's come here. Therefore, whether you, we can't control that. They're here. Let's reach out in love. We're called to. We're about it. And today, we celebrate one of the greatest saints I've ever known in Bob Andrew, who came and welcomed me so willingly that after my, I had, my dad had been dead for years, and so I've always called this family, this poor family, you know, I'm in your family whether you like it or not, <laughs> because he's my dad and supported me. And it means he treated me like a son. And so that's what it means to be part of the church, friends. It instructs us all the necessity of the church and it's what we need in our lives as God's people, as we grow in these realities. Like Mary, we must run, not walk, to Christian community where we find people like Zechariah and Elizabeth who share a mutual faith, believe the same things. And Mary's faith, as great as it was, would very likely have faltered if it had not been for Elizabeth. Therefore, we must purposely place ourselves deep within the fellowship of those who also trust in God's word. Even if it's trusting in God's word just a little bit, just a little weekly, it's okay. Come, walk with us. Christ's followers will naturally experience a mutual devotion of faith, an elevation of faith, as we live out the I believes and we believes of the creeds which we are about to say. And like Mary, we must take a make a priority of being with those who share the mutual experience of miraculous new birth of life within us. The resonance of the soul that comes from such a mutual experience universally powers all believers. And so it's because of that. John writes in his first letter to the church, Beloved, we're God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. One of the blessings of being a pastor is I get to hang around older saints. And Bob is one of my guys. I go, how you doing, bud? He goes, well, I don't, I don't remember things like I used to. Well, you're going to get a new body and that memory is going to be awesome. He goes, man, I'm looking forward to that. Aren't you? But we live today, this new life, and we're purified that way as Jesus is pure. Have you ever thought of that? You may not feel it, but you are in Christ. And so, my friends, don't live a lone ranger Christian life. Come, walk with us. We have a variety of small groups here in an ever-increasing fashion, and we're wonderfully encouraged in these realities together. For we live in a culture where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. And cultures that worship personal autonomy inevitably violate human dignity. Whether it's pre-born or whether it's elderly. 
So within a Christian worldview, the dignity of every human person as image bearer supersedes the potential to infringe on someone's perceived autonomy. We were made for a higher and deeper things than just feeling comfortable and happy from one moment to the next. So in a couple of weeks, we're called to vote no for issue one. It's not just about pre-born life. It's about a lot of other things. If you read it, and I encourage you to read it, it's going to take away parental rights. It's not merely about that. But I was reminded as I was preparing this sermon, it was a cold winter day in January, and mom and dad were talking about their kids. Julie was born in 1952. Mom couldn't get pregnant, so she had her fallopian tubes scraped. And then my brother Bo was born in 1959. And then came Jean. I go, what do you mean then came Jean? They go, well, you weren't planned. <laughs> so I was a mistake? Is that what you're trying to tell me? No. Hey, there you go, Bob. I should have said that. <laughs> a little crisis of belief right here, guys. Came with me. You know, and, 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 and Dad looked at me and winked and said, you were never a mistake, son. You know, we're so glad that God brought you into our lives. That's many of our stories, right? And the whole point is there's a whole population who wish they could have children and couldn't. And the, the adoption lines are long. Let's come alongside Cornerstone Pregnancy Center. This is why we do this is that if, if we hear of someone who's got an unplanned pregnancy and they're, they're, they're in a crisis, we can point them to that wonderful ministry who's going to love them, care for them, get resources to them, and come alongside of them. And if you have an open bedroom, let's open our doors. That's what All Saints has done. To Afghans who don't even speak English. <laughs> you know, they're, they're teaching them English. They're learning American culture, but they're beautiful, sweet people. No, friends, I thank God for my folks, but it's because of the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ we are propelled to action, both practically on the ground and in the voting booth. Let's stand firm with resolve, with great humility for all of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of eternal life in you, Lord Jesus Christ. And it matters today. Potholes matter. Trash on the street matters. Feeding children matters. And we're to be salt and life that participate to making the world a little piece of heaven on earth just by our presence. Lord, we pray that we would be such and that we would be a true community for all of life and that from birth to our graves, we would be a place that the world would look at us and say, what would we do without Christ Church West Shore in this community so that we would shine your light like Isaiah. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.